Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Billy and I are recording this on the 14th, and yesterday on Friday the 13th, we had my father's funeral services. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you're aware that he passed last Sunday. Um, He had a a condition called pulmonary fibrosis. Um, He was getting progressively worse, so um, when it happened, you know, we knew it was going to happen. It was just kind of unexpected. He got locked outside of his house without his oxygen and long story short he coded several times and they brought him back and he coded again and they couldn't get him back so for this episode in honor of my father who I had a tumultuous relationship with we thought we'd bring it full circle if you go back to uh, spontaneous human combustion I think it was Billy was driving through our town, saw some smoke coming out of a nearby crematory. That smoke is now my father. So. (laughs) Yeah. Raising a glass to him tonight, guys. I do want to give a thanks to Steve Pacheco from Trace Evidence, um, who did send some flowers for the funeral. That truly touched my heart. I sincerely appreciate it. That was kind of restored my faith in humanity so sincere thanks to steve and to all the other friends and podcasters and everyone else who's reached out to me i really appreciate it and of course as always our patrons we want to thank this month um kate hunter cooper molly bridget and sue you guys are amazing so uh sorry to start off on such a boring note <laughs> somber oh and if you're friends with me on facebook i didn't mention it because i don't really get into personal stuff on there yeah i never do uh let's just say it was not a great relationship but it's had its sad moments so we're gonna move forward from this and try to get some laughter in our lives because this has been a long fucking week So welcome to Martinis in the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. My name is Erica. I'm joined by my co-host and husband, Billy. Hi. And tonight we are going to bring you the conclusion of Earl Leonard Nelson, the gorilla killer and the dark strangler. So yeah, so this is part two of Earl Nelson. So if you didn't listen to episode 42, part one, um, titled The best thing about having gonorrhea and syphilis part one uh go back and listen to that so in that episode we covered earl's early life and his descent into madness and when we left off earl was still married to mary and after attacking a 12 year old girl and plucking out his eyebrows with his fingernails he was sent to the loony bin escaping for the fourth time in his life 
from the Napa State Mental Hospital, and then he was brought back. And almost four years to the day from when he attacked 12-year-old Mary Summers, he was stamped okay to go and was released. Don't forget the fact that he liked pouring water on his fucking toes. Yeah, he, he liked to trickle some water over his toes when he actually did bathe, which was few and far between. So, by this point, we're now up to 1925. And Earl somehow convinced his wife Mary to take him back. I don't get that. But without his meds, his quote-unquote nomadic dementia they had diagnosed him with, that returned and he soon started disappearing for long stretches again. This time wandering to the northwest of the United States. And his urge to kill, of course, returned as well. And although he roamed around, the first official murder committed by Earl Nelson would be in his hometown of San Francisco in 1926. So now we're going to get into the murders. I warned you guys last time this is going to be the nitty gritty. So we'll, we'll try and find some humor where we can. Clara Newman was a widow in her early 60s who operated several boarding houses in the San Francisco area. And she had placed a for rent sign in the front window of her boarding house at 2037 Pierce Street, and Earl took notice. On February 20th of 1926, Earl, dressed in a neat suit and on his best behavior, approached the house and rang the bell. Clara answered and Earl politely expressed his interest in the vacancy. This is a really nice place you have. I'm really interested. Just so you know, I'm dressed nice, but when I get home, I won't be dressed nice. It's kind of my thing. Exactly. He's like Clark Kent changing in the telephone booth. He's just retarded. Except at. he's doing it backwards. <laughs> he's a lame white trash Clark Kent. Clark Kent. Clark Clark Clark. Clark 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 you don't, you don't see Merton around that much. And this is the 20s. It was I'm a different gonna, time. You keep going. I'm going to go on Facebook see if I can find a guy named Mert, 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 Merton. Merton. M-E-R-T-O-N. Merton. I'm going to see if you're out there, Merton. I'm he, coming for you, Merton. He lived in the boarding house on the second floor. And he thought the apartment felt a bit drafty that day. So he headed down towards the basement to check on the furnace. Now, on the way down, expecting to see his aunt... Merton only saw a recently fried pan of sausage that was cooling on the stove. Son of a bitch. You found a Merton? I found three. Well, two. Merton Bobo. Hi, Merton Bobo. Merton Bobo. Bobo. And Merton Harris. Hi, Merton Harris. There's a Sandra last name, Merton, but I'm not counting that. No, we're not. You don't get to be one of those, Sandra. Uh -uh. You're not included, Sandra. Sorry, Sandra. You're not invited. Yeah. Wow, we just threw a lot of hate at Sandra. But not that Merton Bobo. You're cool, dude. <laughs> so, uh, Merton, assuming that his aunt just got interrupted, he just continued through the kitchen towards the door to the basement. He ran into a man in the hallway with his collar popped and his hat pulled down. So he was like, totally cool. Merton asked the man if he could help him, and the man replied, quote, Tell the landlady I will return in an hour. I wish to rent the bedroom. End quote. The man, as you've probably already assumed, was Earl. Earl and Merton hanging out. <laughs> and he walked out without even waiting for a response from Merton because he wanted to get the hell out of there. Merton thought it was strange, but continued down to the basement to fiddle with the furnace. And then he returned to his upstairs apartment. 
few hours later, Merton decided to check on his Aunt Clara because he hadn't heard anything from her. He found the kitchen in the exact same manner it had been earlier, with the sausage still sitting in the frying pan, now congealed with fat. Ick. Yeah. He asked around to the other tenants, but no one had seen her. Many of the boarders began to search around the building for Clara. And there's some discrepancy with where Clara was ultimately found. The most common being that she was found in one of the empty apartments with her house coat pulled up to her hips, dead. Signs of a struggle were noted on her body and an autopsy showed that she had been strangled, most likely by the killer's own bare hands. That takes power. Yeah. It also found that she had been raped after her death. That tidbit wasn't shared with the press, and most citizens just thought this was an isolated murder. But Merton knew better. Maybe. Dong dong. Is that your... Is that where you want me to put in your... Dong! No. You just want to keep the dong dong? I I like... I have sound effects, too. Okay. Alright. Shit. In San Jose, just over two weeks later, another woman was murdered with almost the exact same M.O., Laura Beale was a 63-year-old boarding house manager whose husband returned from work on March 2nd to find his wife was missing. Man, he digs those boarding houses and he, older ladies. He does. You'll find that out. Once again, the boarders began searching the boarding house, and Laura was found in a vacant apartment naked from the waist down. She had been strangled with the silk belt from her dressing gown, which was tied so tightly around her neck that it broke the skin and was embedded in her flesh. That takes some strength, too. You know, yeah, I was going to say, like, maybe when he did it with his bare hands the first time he got tuckered out. But hearing that, I'm like, no, that, that's pretty much the same amount of yeah. power. Her autopsy showed that she, too, had been raped post-mortem. The press noticed the similarities in the deaths, apart from the necrophilia, of course, that was not reported publicly, and began to claim that a murderous fiend was on the loose. The only description they had of the assailant... Earl was that he was a dick. <laughs> he was a real fuddy-duddy. Was what Merton Newman could describe, which wasn't much. A quote, sallow-faced man hurrying from the house. He, end quote. He looked like a man <laughs> with a dark Caucasian complexion. Tips flowed in but went nowhere. Press labeled the murderer quote the dark strangler. There weren't any murders in the area immediately after Laura's, and the story kind of dropped from the headlines. Earl Nelson had been finding his victims through classified ads and room-for-rent posts. That's where he also found 63-year-old Lillian St. Mary on June 10th of 1926, back in San Francisco. She was also a widow whose grown son lived with her. She was taking in boarders to supplement her income, so she was happy to show the polite and nicely dressed Earl a recently vacated apartment. As she explained the rent cost and other details of life at the house, Earl pounced, wrapping his thick hands around her neck. No one heard any screams or noises of a struggle. A while later, another boarder on his way to his third floor room noticed the door to the vacant apartment open. He stepped in and found Lillian St. Mary on the bed with bulging bloodshot eyes. Her glasses were still on her face, but her hair was disheveled. Her clothing was torn and her dress was pushed up to her waistline, her legs splayed open. It was obvious she was dead. Her autopsy revealed that she had been strangled by bare hands and that the killer had apparently sat on her chest with his full weight as he did so. Her body was raped after death as well. 
The killer had also neatly folded her overcoat and placed it under one of her feet. Her hat had been placed near her head. And the attack had been so quiet that the boarder directly under the vacant room had never heard a thing. So he was grabbing these women and suffocating them before they could even let out a peep. Like a ninja. Like a ninja. A well-dressed, very conspicuous white ninja. Who liked pouring water on his toes. Yeah. I'm going to forget about that shit. And olive oil on his food. Oh, God. Ew, I forgot. Ew. And then he slurped it up. Ah. Ew. God, that's gross. (laughs) Police were able to connect all three killings by their M.O., The police chief began to warn women who rented out rooms to only show them to interested males when someone else was with them, never alone. And by this time, what's his name? Earl. No, Merton. Merton. Merton's at home in the empty room that was going to be rented out, you know, and he's got newspaper clippings and red string. (laughs) Merton's on the case. He's putting it together. (laughs) Two weeks later, or... Two months, according to one source. And 325 miles south, which is about 523 kilometers. This was in Santa Barbara. Another murder was discovered. And Santa Barbara was a resort town full of boarding houses and hotels, just ripe for Earl's picking. In a local boarding house, a night shift railroad worker, William Franey, was sleeping in his room on the top floor. He was woken up by loud banging coming from the room next door, and got up with the intention of asking the noisemaker to quiet down so he could sleep. He went to the door that the two rooms shared, because this is one of those where the two rooms directly abutted each other, and they just had the door separating them. hotels have those. Kind of, yeah. So so he got up uh, to go to the door, and out of curiosity, he bent down to kind of peek through the keyhole. He saw a lady laying on the bed with a man on top of her, his pants pulled down to his knees, thrusting so hard that the headboard was hitting the wall, which was what woke him up. When the man was finished, he rearranged his shabby gray suit and William could get a better look at the female, whose face happened to be turned away at the time. He thought she looked like the landlady of the boarding house, 53-year-old Ollie Russell. William did not see Ollie as the type to have an affair on her husband, so he found this strange. The man in the suit put on his hat and left, but the whole time Ollie hadn't moved. Only after the man could be heard exiting the house did William spot what he thought was blood on the bedding. He uneasily went to find her husband, George. And he's like, hate to tell you this. Some dude was up there fucking your wife. I think there's blood on the bedding. I thought it would be best to come get you instead of check for a pulse. Just saying. Hey, George, don't be mad. And don't (laughs) shoot the messenger. (laughs) Instead of going and checking on her, you know, the woman that hadn't moved and was bleeding... No, I'm going to go find the husband. So when the two returned and George opened the door, they could immediately see that Ollie was dead. And it was Ollie. In Earl's biography, Harold Schechter wrote, quote, Her battered face gruesomely discolored. Ollie Russell lay dead on the mattress. She'd been strangled with a loop of cord pulled tight enough to tear the flesh of her throat. Blood had spattered from her neck onto the mattress and there were bloody marks on the casing of the door. End quote. So, she bled enough to splatter the blood from how tight that was cinched around her neck. Yet again, this victim had been raped after death. But realizing the obvious connections between all the murders, the police made the necrophilia public, finally. On August 16th, 50-year-old Mary Nisbet, an Oakland boarding house operator, 
was noted by her husband to be missing when he arrived home from work. Dinner was laid out and her purse was still in their bedroom, but Mary was nowhere to be found. When she hadn't returned after a few hours, her panicked husband enlisted boarders and neighbors to start searching. But it would ultimately be her husband that found her in the empty apartment on the second floor of the boarding house in the bathroom. It was one of the most violent scenes from Earl's entire spree. Broken teeth were scattered around the bathroom from Earl smashing Mary's head onto the hard tile floor. Blood was spattered on every wall and surface of the room. And Mary lay in a heap with a torn dish towel tied around her neck. So he bashed her face in pretty good if she had shattered teeth laying around the bathroom. You really had to work somebody over. Yeah. Police initially suspected her husband and he was quickly cleared after witnesses stated that a quote-unquote smiling stranger had been seen lurking around the boarding house the day of the murder. You know, and with a serial killer out, that's all the cops would really need to. They'd be like, you know what, sir, you sit down. We have some questions to ask you. They're like, uh, Lieutenant, remember that whole serial killer thing? And there's a creepy smiley guy that was seen leaving. And they were like, ah, fuck, sorry. Oh, man. You, okay, never mind. Go ahead and, <laughs> go ahead and do your arrangements. Yeah. No, no, you're, you're good. You're good. My bad. It was, it was Merton that showed up. He was like, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> Well, some people had seen Earl at different boarding houses before. They didn't have a name, but they knew what he looked like. He was described as a stocky man with a dark complexion with, quote, long arms and large hands, end quote. That's when the newspapers really took off with the nicknames Dark Strangler, The Gorilla Man, and The Gorilla Killer. Based not only from his description, but the sheer strength he would have needed to have strangled these women as excessively as he did. He didn't just strangle him to suffocate him. Like, he compressed so hard that the blood flow would have stopped to their brains and they would have passed out almost as soon as he wrapped his hands around them. See, this says excessively. I'm thinking successfully because he did it, man. Wow. <laughs> but but he, he strangled him with some overkill in there. Now, I've given some extra detail to these first few murders so that Earl's M.O. could be laid out. But there are so many victims that if I did that for all of them, we could do a four or five part series on this. I mean, there's that many. This is the part <laughs> where in the Bible, in Genesis, it's begat, like, begat, 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 begat. <laughs> and now we're here. So for the further murders, if they aren't as detailed, that doesn't by any means make them less horrific or less, less worthy of us discussing them. It's just merely for time. And, you know, we've already explained in the first one that this one had to be a two-parter just because of how much information there was. So we totally respect all the victims and we want to do them all justice. But if there isn't as much detail on the rest of them, it's it's strictly for time. Yeah. And you guys already told us you don't really care for um, two-parters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep throwing that in my face. You, you told us that... You told us that on uh, Facebook, where you can find us, Martinez and Macabre, and our fan page, fans, friends who like Martinez and Macabre. You told us also on Twitter, which is what? Martini underscore Macabre. Yep, you let us know. We know. And welcome to all of our new followers. We used to try and call everyone out by name, but we've gotten so many recently, we can't call you out by name individually. So I'll, I'll try my best, but welcome to all of you guys. We love having you there. And, and Cooper, where the hell are you? We haven't seen Cooper around in a while. 
Cooper, are you okay? Yeah, Cooper, you need to let us know you're okay. He's mad at us. <laughs> I don't know what we did, Cooper, but What did we sorry. do, Cooper? Okay, so Earl then began crossing state lines in the fall. He kind of got out of his comfort zone. On October 19th, 30-year-old Beata, B-E-A-T-A, Beata is how I'm assuming it's... I thought it was Beta. Like, beat, B-E-A-T, beat, mm-hmm. and A, beta. Beta, beta, withers. Yep, that's what we're going with. I'm going to look up that name, too. Her that's body, a weird-ass name. Her body was found by her 15-year-old son, stuffed into a steamer trunk in the attic of their house. She, of course, ran a boarding house. She had been raped and strangled, and either the next day or two days later, depending on the source... 59-year-old Virginia Grant was murdered in a vacant property that she owned on East 22nd Street. She had been strangled, raped, robbed, and stuffed behind the furnace in the property's basement. He really likes the basements. He's a serial killer. They kind of that's kind of their thing, I think. <laughs> what if that's what oh man, what if that's because like of that little girl playing in the basement? Maybe. The one that got away. Could be. But then he put the one lady up in the attic, so... Yeah, like, maybe that doesn't hold any weight. One was in the attic. One one was found in the bathroom that was really fucked up. And the other ones were just found in the vacant apartment. Never mind. On October 21st, so this is a three-day span, boarding house landlady Mabel Fluke went missing. Her body was discovered a few days later, probably when she started to smell. In the attic of her home, strangled with a scarf. So he was kind of trying to actually hide them in places at this point. Oh, and I forgot to say, Beata, Beta, did you ever find that name? Um, I found it as a last name and as a couple businesses, but one of them is a band. Hmm. Just, just Beta, Beta, Beta. Well, this was in Portland, Oregon. I know I said she crossed state lines, but I didn't say exactly where. Earl made his way back to California, stopping in San Francisco for a quick hometown kill on November 18th. So nonchalant, too. I was like, ah, I miss it. Pearl times. Ah, man. The (laughs) sea, I miss it. It's calling me. (laughs) He murdered and raped 56-year-old widow Anna Edmonds. Police weren't convinced that she was a victim of the Dark Strangler until one of her friends told authorities that she had stopped by Anna's home the day of the murder and had seen a quote-unquote strange man in the parlor. He was discussing a business deal with Anna about possibly selling her house. The description of the unknown man matched the description of the serial killer. The very next day, November 19th, in Burlingame, California, a 28-year-old pregnant woman was showing her house to who she thought was a potential buyer when she was attacked. Oh, not a pregnant lady. Yeah. The unnamed woman actually survived the attack. Oh, good. Is the baby okay? (laughs) Yes. Oh, good. She would later tell reporters that the man was, oddly, repeatedly making comments about details of the house, especially the ceilings. Quote, I realize now that he was trying to get me to look up towards the ceiling so that he could get behind me and grab my throat. Oh. So, he was actually plotting stuff out before he even attacked them which is weird because it's a very thought out thing to do but at the same time he's fucking crazy it's like he really took that whole like you got something on your shirt boop yep you know but like (laughs) in a really weird way made you look like i wouldn't be good at that i'd be like wouldn't it be crazy if there's like a serial killer on your ceiling and they're like what the fuck you talking about like oh man no i mean look up (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's why Billy can't be a serial killer. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. Shucks. <laughs> Curses. I can't do it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Earl next hit the Seattle area on November 23rd. In Seattle, he murdered and raped a wealthy widow named Florence Monks. He also stole several pieces of jewelry. Some of this jewelry was later found to have been given to two female boarders as gifts on the 29th of November, so six days later. On that same day, another boarding house landlady was found murdered and raped in her home in Portland. She had been eating lunch with a friend when a stranger walked up to the house to inquire on a room. She gave him a tour and took his $4 and returned to lunch with her friend. So I'm guessing the $4 was like a down payment for staying there that night. If it's like $4 a month, I'll tell you what, we need to go back to those times. Uh, it was the 20s, maybe. Dude, I would have totally, <laughs> I would have totally given her like 200 bucks. I'm like, I, I own this house now, get out. <laughs> Her body would later be found stuffed under the bed that she had, quote-unquote, rented to Earl. She had been garroted and raped, and then Earl took her diamond engagement ring and $8.50 from her purse. So he more than doubled his money. Bonus. Woo! Yeah, it's like a prize. Mm-hmm. Doubled his money. So he doubled his money. It's, Plus he got a diamond ring. It's cool. Like and it's, I'm trying to look at the price side of it. Like, like you give somebody $20 and you shoot them in the face and then you have $40 on them. Now you have $60. Mm-hmm. It's a good day. Yeah. Well, police in California and Oregon released public safety announcements to the citizens, warning about the danger of inviting strangers into their homes. The Portland Police Bureau released this statement, quote, Do not show your houses or rooms for rent while alone. If necessary, call a policeman to accompany you. Crimes such as these should be prevented and could have been prevented if women had been more careful. Way to go. I do not wish to unduly alarm the people of Portland, but there is no denying the situation is grave, end quote. So it's the women's fault? Yeah, I mean, if you guys would just stop being barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, we'd probably get some stuff done around here. Could have been prevented if women had been more careful. You floozies. <laughs> Wow. 20s definitely were a different time. Good God. In uh, late November, Earl was on the move again, hitchhiking or stowed away on rail cars headed east. And they're like 60-year-old people with, with, with their... Yeah, all these women are in their 50s or 60s. With their coats pulled over their hips and everything like that. You Except get for that, the pregnant lady, and she survived. You got that one asshole cop, like, she's dressed like she wanted it. You know, like, <laughs> it's so fucking... It's, that's so stupid. Yeah. So, he was hitchhiking, stowing away, making his way across country. And it's certain that he made it to Iowa, at least, by December 2nd, because that's when the body of Mrs. John Burrard was found inside her home in Council Bluffs. She was garroted with a shirt. Police first thought suicide, of course, because people always garrot themselves with shirts to commit suicide. That's just what you do when you want to kill yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, you just twist a shirt around your neck. Seems legit. So yeah, so they they thought this was suicide because she had recently been discharged from a psych hospital. 
I wonder how many people have actually committed suicide that look like a murder, but in their mind they're like, this clearly, I don't know how you wouldn't think this isn't a suicide. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm gonna we'll probably never know. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw myself out of this high story window, but before I do it, I'm gonna, you know, stab myself five times and then mess up this entire office and then jump Pull out an Izzy. and scream all the way down, being like, I was murdered and then smash into a car. That'll totally look like a suit. Anybody else doesn't think that's stupid. <laughs> well, once they discovered that she had also been raped. Uh, it quickly turned to murder because most people that commit suicide don't try to rape themselves beforehand. I don't think you're collecting semen to stuff up your cooch to go, oh, I Erica, hate this life. Erica, oh God, you're showing your ignorance right now. I need to read a book, don't I? You should I? read a book. Check Facebook, okay? <laughs> you're showing your ignorance and you should really educate yourself. Am I racist too? You're a racist and a liberal snowflake. You're 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 you're, you're gun loving. <laughs> whatever, whatever else is whatever on Facebook right insults now. Insults <laughs> you want to give, Erica. Um, you have to understand. This is the twenties. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I need to go back to our roots. I guess this, this started with this being women's fault. Don't fucking come on. What are you doing? <laughs> sorry, guys. I let you down. <laughs> Hear me roar my ass. <laughs> Well, December 27th, finally a younger one, 23-year-old Bonnie Pace was found murdered in an upstairs room of her Kansas City, Missouri house by her husband, strangled. December 28th, the very next day, 28-year-old Germania Harpin, along with her 8-month-old son Robert, were found strangled in their home in Kansas City. Uh, Baby Robert had been strangled with one of his own cloth diapers. God damn it. Yeah. So this is the only non-female victim that they have 100% tied to Earl. Ah, uh, you say and tied it was a, and it was a, Oh, things, that was man. bad choice of words. Dude. Whoo, sorry guys. Well, linked, linked. Yeah. There we go. Germania's husband discovered their bodies when he returned from work that evening. That's a nice name. <laughs> Germania? You don't see it that much. I don't know. It sounds like a flower. It sounds like what Germany... We're going to go plant some Germanias. It sounds like what Germany was before it came a country. <laughs> like back, way back, like in the... Stony, the village of know, Germania. Like like back in Roman times, like, you know, we must take Germania and all the... <laughs> all the... Oh, what were they called? What were Germans called? Fuck. Germans? No, 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 no. Before that, before... Barbarians. They were called barbarians. They were referred to as like they they like the Romans referred to them as barbaric hordes and, and 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 all that shit because they never had a full language that they all shared and they were seen as just rough around the edges. That's why their language sounds so angry. They're yeah, they sound so mad. I don't mean that in a bad way. I love Germans. I love everybody, but I mean back in like 500 BC, I'm sure they were. It was a different fucking situation there. Okay. I wasn't there, so I won't comment. Let me know. Don't let me know on my Facebook page. But let me know on the Martinis and the Macabre or the fan page, Friends Who Like Martinis and the Macabre page. I believe barbarian is like a German term. Hmm. I don't know. If you're wrong, you're going to get a lot of hate. Why would I get hate? I don't know. That's Facebook. I'll get hate. 
Yeah. You need to read a book. Way to go, white male with your privilege and what I don't (laughs) fucking know. They'll come up with something. Everybody always fucking does. Uh, I'm mad about stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Earl kept traveling and the kills kept adding up. April 27th, he killed Mary McConnell, a 53-year-old landlady in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now, see, when you said earlier with the woman with the child, Germania, like, oh, he went younger this time. I'm thinking, what, was she, like, 57? Like, I mean, <laughs> he, 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 he started with the age kind of damn high, you know? Yeah, most of them are in their 50s or 60s. This time he robbed the cradle. <laughs> well, God, and we yeah. got to remember, his own wife was in her, what, 50s? Yeah. Was she, so, is he still married? He is still married to her. Man, she's probably embarrassed as shit. He took off on his little nomadic trip because of his nomadic dementia. Air quote the fuck out of that. Damn, I wish I had nomadic dementia. Yeah. Be in the middle of dinner eating corn and mashed potatoes. No, I gotta I'd go. Like, Bye. <laughs> Well, uh, about a month later, on May 30th in Buffalo, New York, 53-year-old Jenny Randolph was found stuffed under a bed in her home, having been strangled and raped. June 1st in Detroit, Michigan, two women were killed, Fannie Mae, a boarding house manager, and Maureen Atorthy. Atorthy. Atorthy? Yeah. Maureen Atorthy. I don't know. (laughs) One of her boarders. You know... All this could have been avoided if this was the 80s. Because you know in Detroit who would have stopped America? Robocop. Robocop. I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, I always have to be on the same page with you when it comes to Robocop. Because that's one of your favorite movies. Um, it's, it's weird you say one of my favorite movies when it's one of the best movies ever made. It's everybody's favorite movie. Or is it a documentary? It's a really good documentary about the hard times in Detroit. <laughs> And I always say it to customers, too, like, in our town and everything, like, if we didn't have Ball State University, we would be Detroit. <laughs> and, I'm, and I always finish it off with, like, Detroit has it better. They have RoboCop. We ain't got shit. We have Jim Davis, the guy who created Garfield. Yeah. We have him. And Bob Ross. And we have Bob Ross and, and David, David Letterman. Letterman. And um, Armed and Famous. <laughs> if you guys remember that show, Wow. We only know about it because they filmed here. Yeah, that went on for one season? Not even a full season. I saw Jack. Yeah. Uh, it's where they took a bunch of uh, B-list famous people at the time. They don't call them that. Jack Osborne. Um, Wee Man. Was Wee Man on ours? Yeah, from Jackass? Wee, yeah, Man, Wee Man. And which Jackson was it? LaToya Jackson. LaToya Jackson. Um, um, was it one of the women in like the WWE or something? Maybe. I can't remember. But they took a group of them and made them like honorary Muncie police. Oh, God. And the guy from Chips. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric Estrada. Yeah. He yeah. is a cop. He kept he, he kept going with that. Yeah. They turned them into cops in our hometown here and then filmed it. And it didn't even make it a whole season. Yeah. You know that. So, Steven, that's our claim to fame. You know that Steven Seagal show where he's mm-hmm. a cop. Like if you lived in this city at that time. You could get pulled over, and there's an opportunity. There's a chance that Wee Man will mm-hmm. arrest you. Yeah. I remember because they showed a clip from him at the mall, and he was trying to get a shoplifter. And I'm not making fun of little people, but he was, he was like, really trying to keep up with her, you know? <laughs> but he wasn't running. He was just, like, walking really fast, you know? And he was like, ma'am, you need to stop. And she, and she was just like, fuck out of my face. And, like, she, like, swatted him away a couple times like, like a kid, you know? And I'm like, that's a cop. You can't do that. We've and- never looked up on YouTube to see if there's any clips of that show on there. We need to do that. 
So you guys look for that on YouTube. If you can find some clips of Armed and Famous, what year was that? I was in Iraq. You taped it for Early me. Early 2000s. You taped it for me. So like 2003, 2004, probably. Your first tour? Uh, no, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Sometime in the 2000s. It's armed and famous. My favorite, my favorite clips. One of them was Eric Estrada. He was called a motherfucker. Now we all know a motherfucker is just a term, mm-hmm. but he got all mad. He was like, "You don't talk about my mother." And I'm watching like he didn't say shit about your mother. He called you a motherfucker. I mean, like that. Yeah, it, it it's different. It holds different, you know. Like I don't know how to put it, you know. And then like he's at a cafe downtown. Who goes to a cafe downtown in this town? Nobody. Yeah. Not a fucking one. And hipsters. Yeah. That's hipsters. about it. Back then. Nobody. True. You know, it, he looked at the paper and he was like, oh no. And he was like on the front page. The emos. You know, he was on the front page, like celebrity cop gets mad at guy, whatever the topic was. You know, <laughs> and he was like, oh man, chief's going to have my butt. And I'm like, really? Is he? Does he care? Like, what's yeah. happening? Ew, this is cheesy as shit. Our police force let you guys in to be cops on our turf. And now we bust meth dealers on Netflix. Yeah. We've come up in the world. We're doing all right. <laughs> Remember Latoya Jackson at Texas Roadhouse? Uh-huh. She wouldn't eat unless she had a tablecloth. Uh-huh. So they had to take the cloth and she wanted, that they like, the finger bowls with. to wash her hands with. And... Yeah, and, like, they took the silverware cloths and put them all up. Like on top of each other, made uh-huh. like a makeshift tablecloth, and they got a call. I think they had to leave anyway, and I was like, "Oh man!" And Texas Roadhouse is like all over the country. Nowhere do they have tablecloths. It's so it's not just a Muncie thing. Just I, I bet I bet she felt so awful as she had to take like five showers and like scalding heat because she had to walk on like peanut shells. To yeah, get it. you know she's like, eh, "What is this?" They're crunching eh. under my feet. They feel like bugs, but I know they're not. Ew. <laughs> Wow, we really strayed off topic. But yeah, we're going to have to look that up and see if there's any clips yeah. on there. Let's see, where was I? We really went off the rails. Maureen Atorthy. Sorry, guys. She was one of the boarders that was killed along with the, the house manager, Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae. Fannie was garroted with an electrical cord from a lamp that authorities believed had still been lit when it was cut. I'm starting to like that word. What? Garroted. 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 I like that. Just as a word? Yeah. Because of how it sounds. Hits the ear good. Okay. Garroted. Ooh, ear balls. <clears throat> they determined that the knife used to cut the cord that they believed was still um, plugged in. Was shitty. <laughs> <laughs> no. They believed it would have nicks and burn marks because it was still electrified. And two days later in Chicago, Illinois... 27-year-old Mary Cecilia Seitzman was found strangled with an appliance cord in her home. God, he's like the Forrest Gump of killers. He's going from, like, coast to coast exactly. and then back again. Exactly. That's why I was so amazed that nobody had ever heard of this guy. At least I hadn't. Well, I mean, how much communication was there back in the 20s between state agencies and stuff? You know? At this point, there was a lot. They knew this guy was on the move. And uh, several items of this uh, Mary Cecilia's uh, husband's clothing had been stolen. So, all in all, Earl had killed at least 20 people that we know of here in the U.S. by this time, using his brute strength to strangle the life out of them. 
He must have gotten a craving for some poutine because he quickly crossed the border via Minnesota into Canada. Started killing there as well. Sorry, Canada. Sorry, Canada. You, <laughs> he, get a, you get our bad ones. He first went to Winnipeg where he agreed to rent a room at Catherine Hill's boarding house on Smith Street. But Earl did something a little different this time. He did it in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little different. You're correct. But he also rented the room and didn't stay there as usual. But he didn't kill Catherine or any of the boarders staying at the house. Somewhere on Smith Street, he crossed paths with 14-year-old Lola Cowan on June 8th, 1927. Which makes me think it's one of those things where he was gonna. Mm-hmm. But then he was walking out and was like, well, well, well. You know? That one's better. Let me take that one. What's this one all about? She looks like a Lola. What's your name? <laughs> Lola. <gasps> She had left home to sell paper flowers door-to-door, trying to help supplement the family's income as her father had been ill with pneumonia. Okay, that's probably the sweetest thing I've ever heard, really. Yeah. No one actually witnessed Lola and Earl together, but she disappeared that day. God. Two days after Lola's disappearance, June 10th, Earl somehow happened across Emily Patterson, a married mother of two boys who had been cleaning her house that day. Earl managed to get into the Patterson's house, where he strangled and raped her and then hid the body. Some sources say she was also beaten with a claw hammer, but I couldn't confirm that. You know, with with the severity of all of his crimes, you could say anything, and then people would be like, yeah, I see it. Yeah. He beat her to death with a ruler. How? (laughs) He's a serial killer. Oh. Oh. When she failed to get her kids from a play date that afternoon... Her husband, William, knew something was wrong. William was really sick and tired of her bullshit. And it felt really bad later. (laughs) By 11.30 that night, without being able to locate her, William knelt down beside his bed in prayer for guidance to find his wife. And as he stood up, his leg lifted the bedspread a little and he noticed what appeared to be his wife's favorite sweater. He looked closer and realized his wife's cold body had been laying under his bed the whole day. It was right under his nose. So if you, if we are a podcast of learning. Um, Check under the bed. No, just pray to God. Because uh, <laughs> apparently, I mean, it, it, the prayer was answered. It's like, oh, yeah. please help, help me find my wife. And you trip over her dead body. It's like, well, I mean, you didn't say what condition. <laughs> I mean, you found her. Well, many items. Have... I mean, he like stood up crying like, thank you, God. I don't <laughs> Many items had also been stolen from the house. A suit, a gold wedding ring, and $70, which probably would have been a lot of money back then. And her life. (laughs) And her life. Wow, Billy. Something had also been left. A knife with nicks and burn marks on the blade. And a corpse was left there, too. And that. There you go again. And a distraught husband. Mm Mm-hmm. And children. Would you like to add anything else to make this even more grim? Be referred to as bastards now, I guess, right? No, they weren't children of an unmarried mother at the time when they were born. Who didn't have? No, bastards is if you were conceived out of wedlock. Oh well, I still think they're bastards. (laughs) Okay, I almost spit out my drink. (laughs) Oh, there I go, judging people again. Police automatically assumed that the American Dark Strangler had crossed into their turf with the discovery of Emily Patterson's body. They would be right. So, they already knew beforehand that 
this guy was on the loose. So Canadians knew because they looked at this was like this wasn't us. Yeah. This was an American that did this. And then like oh, the whole American government's like, Yeah. Sorry. We lost track of them. Sorry, eh? Oh, you try to relate to Canadians and you're American like, hey, sorry. Oh. Sorry, eh? And you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> and with the disappearance of Lola Cowan still unsolved. They started their questioning near where Lola was last seen, Catherine Hill's boarding house on Smith Street. Which is where the American authorities really pushed it to. They're like, oh, that's awful. We're so sorry about that. Don't you have a girl missing? Shouldn't you focus on that? Like, uh, (laughs) gotta go. Bye. Catherine was cooperative with police, telling them that she had recently taken in a new boarder matching the killer's description. But he was named Mr. Woodcoats, and he was a nice Christian man. Couldn't it couldn't possibly. have been him. Yeah. Satisfied with her answers, <laughs> the police left. <laughs> okay, but, cool. But Catherine thought she better check in with Mr. Woodcoats, as he hadn't been seen in a couple of days. And that's just strange, because he was such a nice guy. It is the women's fault. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Catherine went to his door and knocked, but no one answered, so she let herself in. She immediately smelled decay. Uh Uh-oh. She noticed the bed was untouched, as was the towel she had left with him. She thought he had skipped out on her without paying the rest of her rent and went to notify the authorities. This fucker left me and left some meat sitting out to spoil and didn't pay me his four dollars. This, you know, Erica, I'm on the exact same page. Not like the whole, like, it's possible a serial killer lived here. He duped me. He, she walked in and was like, that motherfucker bailed. <laughs> and that's why she called the cops. She called the cops like, hey, this son of a bitch is up and left. And apparently left chicken somewhere that I can't find. Well, another boarder was coming down the stairs after Catherine left and happened to glance into the open door of Mr. Woodcoat's room. They noticed what looked like a mannequin under the bed. FYI, to all of you snuggle bunnies, it's never a mannequin. Who puts one under the never. bed? Never. Every story I read, well, it looked like a mannequin. It's not a mannequin. You take a mannequin. People don't just leave mannequins around willy-nilly. You take a mannequin. It has to be a female mannequin. You strip it naked. You take one arm off. You take a knife. You cut up the face and you put it in the corner, facing the corner. We all know that. Wow. Do we need to talk? <clears throat> no. Is there something going on with you that we need to discuss? Let's not discuss what's in the corner or under the bed. Moving on. Just pray. You'll find it. Oh, Upon further inspection, the nude body of 14-year-old Lola Cowan was found under the bed, decaying from two days prior. She, too, had been strangled and raped. And one source claims that the bed had been slept in, leading authorities to believe Earl had slept with the dead body under him. When you're tired, you're tired. I'm more inclined to think that he had lured her to the room, raped her body on the bed, and then put the body under the bed before fleeing. Not necessarily that he slept in the bed, but just did the deed on the bed. When you're dead, do you instantly become a sex doll? To Earl, yes. Okay. (laughs) Another source claims that her body was found during citywide searches of boarding houses on June 12th, but... I can't imagine authorities with one suspicious death and a disappearance automatically going to every single boarding house door-to-door for inspections. How many fucking boarding houses are there? A lot. 
I mean, there was also mention of Lola having been mutilated in one source, quote-unquote reminiscent of Jack the Ripper, but I only saw this in one place, and it would be a total change of M.O. for Earl, not to mention he would have gone back to just strangling two days later when he attacked Emily Patterson, so I'm inclined to kind of not believe any of that, just that he lured her there, killed her, raped her, stuffed her under the bed, and then he took off. So the crosshairs were closing in on Earl, who had been spotted all over town with lots of cash or pawning, selling, or trading jewelry and other items that he had stolen from the victims. And everyone gave the same description of him. He also wasn't familiar with customs and manners of speech in Canada, like saying he had worked on a ranch near Winnipeg, which locals would have called a farm. Just kind of things that made him stand out. Kind of makes me think of that movie Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Remember when they were in the basement in the bar? Mm-hmm. And the German made him, the guy was like, he he was an actor or whatever, you know, and like they ordered, oh. You're wanted. Some serious shit right here. Billy told me to hold on. The wild Billy is touching the buttons on his device. It was one of my employees. <laughs> um... But, like, it was one of those things where it's, like, the German officer was, like, you know, let's get three scotches, you know, or four scotches. And then the British soldier who was incognito, who was, you know, undercover, said three because he didn't want one. But he did this. He did the index finger, middle finger, and ring finger to do three. But Germans do pinky, ring finger, middle finger. That's their three. And that, when that happened, that just gave you away instantly. Like, you... You're clearly not German. Germans don't do that. Yeah. So if you say ranch instead of farm, like, oh, well, he's not. He, yeah, he yeah. spoke the same language, but he didn't use the same terminology that they would in that area. Based on all the witnesses coming forward with sightings of Earl, authorities were able to track his movements. Descriptions of the murders and the murderer were sent back from Canada to the U.S. as well, as he could have fled back across the border. How accurate do you think that is? Remember that? Remember that? Remember that test you did back in, like, like elementary, where the teacher goes up to the first student, you know, and is like, I like pizza. And then she makes you tell the next person. And then the last person is like, you said, I like cats and mannequins. And then she, and you're like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> no, but this is stuff that's directly quoted and cited as coming from the police and putting in the media and the press. So it's not like... I guess it's not like gossip. Yeah, it's not it's like documented hey, so and so. Yeah, it's it's, it's more official. More, yeah, it's okay. more widespread. It's in black and white. You get what I'm saying though. Like yeah. back then, it could have been one of those things where it's like you're looking for this guy and this guy. But by the time it gets, because that's from like Santa Barbara, but by the time it gets to like Jersey, it could be like a totally different fucking description but because I, I, of how many channels it went. I through. think by this time, you know, he'd killed so many people that they could connect him, and this isn't. We're not even including, like, the six or seven other people that he couldn't officially be linked to. Um, But this was kind of like national headlines at the time. So, between the press in the U.S., plus now they had press going in Canada, I think it was just kind of a wide known. They had all of these witnesses that had the same description of the same person, and it was always, like, at a boarding house or a vacant property. So... It was kind of the consensus at the time. You just kind of remind me of something. You know, like when 
there's a serial killer out and stuff like that, and they put out a description and be on the lookout and stuff like that. You know, the last time I heard that was DC Sniper. After that, I haven't really heard of a, you know, check your windows or check your doors at night, somebody's out. But like DC Sniper, they're like, you know, stay off of these roads. He's They've hit these roads, and we believe the card looked like this. They're using this caliber of rifle. If you look like this or this or whatever, you know what I mean? And they like, were so completely wrong. They were, but that was the... <laughs> But it Middle-aged was, white man. Nope. Nope. Two black guys. Not this time. <laughs> but, like, that's the last time I remember a nationwide... Be on the lookout for this. Yeah. Nationwide? Yeah, probably. I don't remember anything after that, really. Mm-hmm. I remember them catching serial killers. Caught one recently, but never a be on the lookout type of thing. DC yeah. Sniper was the last one. Because usually the serial killers, they don't have anything to compare to. They don't have a witness. They don't have be on the lookout for this because they don't have this. They just have a murdered person with the same MO. And it happened quick too, because I remember I was at national training center in Fort Irwin preparing to go to the first tour of Iraq. Mm-hmm. We made it back from the training area and got back to the, the pad. We call it the pad. And I was taking a shit behind a curtain. Cause that's all we had. Oh, Billy, you and your shit talk. And there was a, the radio was playing. It was like, you know, the DC sniper has been known to a strike. He's like, and I'm like, I'm listening to it like, what the fuck are they talking about? I'm like, are we okay out here? Am I going to get shot? Like, what's happening? <laughs> June 16th. So, like I said, the, the descriptions were sent back um, to the U.S. all across Canada as well. They were worried that maybe he would flee back across the border. And on June 16th of 1927, the Manitoba border town of Killarney just 12 miles or 20 kilometers from the North Dakota border, a man was arrested matching the killer's description. He claimed his name was Virgil Wilson and that he was a day laborer who didn't know nothing about nothing having to do with no gorilla killer. I don't know shit. I don't know what you're talking about there, friend. <laughs> he was completely cooperative and polite, and police began to have doubts that this calm, God-fearing man could be the serial murderer. Until the secretary walked in with paperwork as she was 63 and he couldn't help it and he lunged. <laughs> he had a thing for 63-year-olds. You look like you're 63 years old. Have you checked out that ceiling? <laughs> well, he was put in a century-old Killarney jail cell without his belt, socks, or shoes, as was protocol. I think it still is now. The constable left to telegraph Winnipeg about the capture stopping upon his return to pick up a newspaper and a cigar. And when he returned, the cell door was wide fucking open and his prisoner was gone. Good old Virgil had managed to find a wire, pick the double lock on the cell door, and escape, all without being seen. (laughs) That's what happens when you put him in a hundred-year-old jail cell. I bet you on that day he never read a newspaper again. He quit smoking. Yep. A posse was immediately rounded up to search for the Dark Strangler. You can't really get mad at the guy, too. Not Virgil or Earl. Get mad at him all you want. But the cop. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the chief is like, Brian, I'll what happened? Damned. And he was like, I don't fucking know, sir. I heard it lock. Did you take his belt? Belt and shoelaces, too. I got all of them. As <laughs> he holds them up. Eh. I just saw like this like weird like they, I do a lot of movie references, but the end of the usual suspect when he drops the coffee mug. Uh-huh. You know, like I see him just dropping a newspaper and a lit cigar. <laughs> just staring at an open fucking cell. Everything hits the ground, it cuts to him in real time, and he's like Fucking Motherfucker <laughs> Well Earl, aka Virgil, hid in an old barn overnight. 
He found a sweater to wear, as well as some ice skates that he removed the blades from to use as shoes. Smart. The next morning, he made the mistake of bumming some cigarettes from a man as he headed south toward the U.S. The man recognized him and alerted authorities as soon as Earl went on his way. He was easily found and recaptured that morning, just 12 hours after his grand escape, all for a smoke. This time, he was taken to the Rupert Street Police Station in Winnipeg for lockup. And that lockup, that that cell was made two weeks prior. It was good. Yeah, they weren't going to put him back in the same place he escaped from. You know, like we did when we put him back in the psych ward that he'd escaped from numerous times before. And we put him back there again so we could escape again. If I was the cop that got him and I knew about the cop that went for the the cigar and the newspaper, I'd be like, you know what? Put him in a trunk. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they didn't have like a whole lot of cars back then. I'd be like, you know what? Put him in a trunk. A trunk. (laughs) Put him in there. Poke holes steamer in trunk it. like he left his victim in and Poke the holes in it like we do with lightning bugs. <laughs> <laughs> when he's hungry, put a skittle through the hole. I would argue that point. They're lightning bugs. You want to be able to see them light up. You would put them in a jar. God, now I feel dumb. Yep. My Read a book. My you racist, misogynist pig. My ignorance is showing. <laughs> so, this time... Uh, of course, he was measured, fingerprinted, and photographed. Called a dick. They weren't going to waste any time on doing that. His photos were dispersed to authorities all over the U.S. so witnesses could try to make positive IDs. Fingerprints were sent from San Francisco belonging to Earl Nelson and were matched to Virgil Wilson, as well as prints found at several crime scenes. He allegedly left bite marks on some of the victims, according to some sources, which were consistent with his bite pattern, although it's unclear which victims were bit or if they actually ever were bit. By the end of his first week in jail, 40 different eyewitnesses in the U.S. and Canada had ID'd him as being the man seen at or near several crime scenes, including Merton Newman, who had seen him face-to-face in his aunt's kitchen as Earl fled, and Catherine Hill, who had seen and spoken with him at her boarding house when he rented his room. You know, it made me think of something when you when you mentioned bite pattern. Mm-hmm. I saw this on Facebook, this this woman who had a tattoo done of uh, Ted Bunny's bite mark. Yeah. And it was very realistically done. I mean, hats off to the artist, but I'm like... That's fucked up. I'm looking, I'm like, that's kind of, like, I don't know, I guess inappropriate. I'm like, he... I've he attacked seen, and killed women. Why would you put that yeah, on Yeah, I've seen lots of people with tattoos of serial killers. I've seen tattoos that are the silhouettes of uh, Dylan and Eric from Columbine shooting. Um, yeah, I'm that's not, not my jazz. I'm not going to say don't do it. I'm not going to judge you. But just in my in my opinion, it seems poor taste. But that's just, I would never do it. Yeah, serial killers, mass murderers, although I find them fascinating, I would never want them on my body. I find them fascinating, but I don't find them idolizing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't idolize them. I'm interested in them. I don't want to look up to them. If exactly. That, if that makes any sense. I'm not putting them on my body. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say the bite mark looked impressive. It was well done. Nelson denied his involvement in any of the killings, saying, quote, Murder just isn't possible for a man of my high Christian ideals. Christians don't kill people. Yeah, I mean, good Christian people... Like the Westboro Baptist Church, they don't do anything bad. No. Like demean people and call gays faggots and say they're going to hell. And I personally think they're on a mission to be funded. I think they want you to hit them. 
so they can sue you. I think they want. I think they want you yeah. to attack them so that they can press charges and everything. Because they technically, even though I don't support what they do, I support everybody's right to assemble and to protest. Not at know. somebody's fucking funeral. It's not in good taste. But there's nothing written on a book saying that they cannot do that. It falls under that whole thing like I don't agree with what you say, but I'll defend with my life your right to do it. I don't agree with what they're doing. And the fact that they have a right to do it and you accost them, then they have laws on their side. When you do that, laws on their side. True. And they can sue you and fund their church. It's fucked up, but this is the world we live in, you know. Well, and think of the history of Christianity and how many wars have been fought. Yeah, how many crusades? I mean, fuck. The guy that shot up the Planned Parenthood in Colorado. I mean, I'm thinking back like Spanish Inquisition, mm -hmm. Salem witch trials. Like they, we, we, not we. I'm atheist, but like, y'all motherfuckers killed a lot of people. Sweet Christian (laughs) ideals that wouldn't allow this man to kill people. Evidence from numerous jurisdictions was compiled, and his mo became even more clear. He tended to murder shortly after getting a haircut and shaving, and would then let his hair grow out as a disguise until he felt like killing again. But when you let your hair grow out, it's not much of a disguise. You're still you. But when he did the murders, he was clean shaven. So then he would just let his hair grow out. People wouldn't recognize him until he felt the need to kill again. Oh. So he'd get shaved, get a nice haircut, go kill some people, hide out for a few days till he had the, the growth, and... That was his disguise. Before they arrested him, they were like, I don't know why you arrested me. Look at the stubble. And they're like, we didn't say shit about stubble at all. What are you talking about? All of the victims were asphyxiated, most raped after death. His wife verified that Earl was never at home when any of the killings took place, but he was always in the towns where killings occurred when they occurred. Authorities officially linked Earl Nelson to 22 murders between February 20th, 1926 <laughs> And June 10th, 1927. Yeah. I'd like to introduce you to that bus you just got thrown under Earl. <laughs> there your wife were, is sick of your shit. Like, nah, that motherfucker did it. There were several other murders with similar MOs, but there wasn't enough evidence found to indict him. And he wasn't talking. He was also facing two charges of attempted molestation, one of which was probably for the unnamed woman who survived, and one charge of burglary. Because they could actually link him to some of the jewelry that was taken. Within weeks of his arrest, he was indicted for murders in San Francisco, Portland, Philadelphia, Buffalo, and Detroit. But he would be tried first in Manitoba, as the Canadian murders were his most recent and Canada was where he was apprehended. Go Canada. Go Canada. Not to mention the eyewitness they had in Catherine Hall. And in this period of time, Canada still had the death penalty. We're finally going to get an execution from Canada. You thought it wouldn't happen? It's going to happen. Oh, Canada. (laughs) You're a country above us. (laughs) That's all I got. That's beautiful. Oh, brought a tear to my eye. (laughs) Earl was originally scheduled for trial to begin on June 27th. 1927, but his two court-appointed attorneys asked for postponement because of pre-trial publicity and the fact that their client was a wackadoo that couldn't help with his own defense. So, I can understand the I can understand the court-appointed attorneys too because they're like, "Why am I going to try a guy? Like everybody's out to kill him. Like he's on the he's on the cover of every newspaper." You seen newspaper. this guy? He plucks out his fucking eyebrows. I, we have nothing. He washes his toes separately. <laughs> 
Give him. Have you seen him eat? I know. I know. Like, give him chicken alfredo and olive oil. You'll see some of the most horrific shit. How am I supposed to defend this? <laughs> I just graduated law school. This is what I get. <laughs> I quit. I'm gonna open up a boarding house. Fuck this. <laughs> the boarding houses are safe now. We caught him. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the trial was pushed back to November 1st at the Winnipeg Courts Law Building. Over 60 witnesses from both Canada and the U.S. took the stand, including his now ex-wife Mary and his Aunt Lillian for the defense to show Earl's bizarre behavior in hopes of an insanity defense. I say just put a plate of food down in front of him in the court and let them watch. There you go. I say this motherfucker is crazy. Let him lift chairs with his teeth. And... I'd like to present this turkey sandwich as exhibit A. I'd like to present this olive oil as exhibit B. Exhibit C will be a bucket of soap water. <laughs> exhibit D will be his shoes. <laughs> but the psychiatrist who had declared Earl a quote-unquote constitutional psychopath took the stand and stated that legally speaking... Earl was sane in the eyes of the law. I would agree with this as he searched for women who he could attack in private areas without witnesses and then hid many of the bodies to prolong detection. So he was fully aware of what he was doing. I agree. He thought this out. I do think he had some mental issues. I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist. I can't diagnose him. But he had something insane in the membrane, but he still knew what he was doing. I think the reasons why are insane, but what he did, he did in, with a sound mind. Fully he knew, aware. He knew what he was doing was wrong. If he didn't, he just left the body wherever it laid. He took he took efforts to to put the body up. That means you have a conscientious effort. You have and you traveled know what you did. all across the country and into another country to avoid detection. Hashtag road trip. on november 5th the jury was left to make their decision it only took 40 minutes to find earl leonard nelson guilty and to sentence him to death a 30-page document submitted to the minister of justice by earl's lawyer petitioned for clemency on the grounds of earl's insanity 20 people that had known earl throughout his life wrote affidavits according to his lawyer they were quote in a position to know full well the character and mentality of the said Earl Nelson, and that they verily believed without exaggeration or mental reservation, had been for a long period of time a person of unsound mind. End quote. The judge said, fuck that. That was his quote. <laughs> That's the quote I put in for him. He said, fuck that. He said, nuh And set his execution by hanging for the second Friday of January 1928. So he was not wasting any time. He was found guilty November 5th, and he was like, you're fucking uh, going to the gallows the second Friday of January. Merry Christmas. Earl continued to declare his innocence, even to family members of some of the victims when they confronted him in person. In prison? In person, in prison. Okay. Yep. On January 13th, 1928, at 7.30 a.m., Earl stepped up on the gallows at the Vaughn Street Jail in Winnipeg. His final words were selfishly, quote, I forgive those who have wronged me, end quote. Oh, good. When the signal... Glad we have your forgiveness, bro. Yeah. 
I was worried. It's a weight off my chest. When the signal was given, the floor dropped away, and Earl was left hanging, asphyxiating, just as his victims did. Thank you, Canada. Wish you still had the death penalty. You knocked that one out of the park. This guy was fucking nuts. And if you look him up, there are at least, I want to say, six or seven uh, murder victims that they believe were his victims, but they just couldn't be definitive. They didn't have the eyewitnesses. You know, of course, back then there wasn't DNA. I'm not even sure that there was blood There was back DNA then. back then, Erica. If it's they been with knew, us forever. I, yeah. We've always had them. Quit twisting my words. I shot 50 cc's into your vagina this one time and we made a human. That's DNA. There. Wow. All right. So now you know about our sex life. <laughs> We've done it twice. We have two children. It was very by the book, too. <laughs> All right. Uh, and yeah. one and a two and a, there you go. Lay down in the receiving position. I shall put forth my member. Yeah, I, I shall <laughs> technical. I am in the uh, giving it to you position. <laughs> there are your vaginal walls. I will give you my white liquor. There and... is friction. Okay. Spit in my mouth in three, two, one. Spit. <laughs> And there it is. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's so gross. <laughs> Don't ever do that during sex ever. Again. Oh. <laughs> Remember last Tuesday? Oh, shut up. <laughs> that is not our sex life. No way. I don't put personal shit on Facebook. Y'all don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, that was Earl Leonard Nelson. The worst sexual, serial, sadistic killer there was until Dean Coral in the 70s. This guy held the title for a good 50 years. A lot of people don't know about him. Yeah. I'd never heard of him. And wow. He was fucking crazy. And if you haven't heard of him, that's fucking crazy because I, all the time, am trying. Lately, I gave up. But I'm always trying to pitch like, oh, what well, about like, this guy? Oh, well, what about this one? And I'm like, yeah, I've heard of him. I was so excited in the beginning. I was like, look who I found. And you're like, I have the book. And I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> now, now I just give up. Well, our next one is going to be a fun one. It's going to be a little more lighthearted because this one's pretty grim. You know, killing and raping bodies and killing babies and all that jazz. Garot. Garot. Yes. <laughs> So the next one is going to be a fun one. So, uh, yeah, thanks for sticking with us for this two-part episode. Uh, I just knew, you know, two hours is it's a lot to listen to and it's a lot to edit. So, sorry guys, I kind of split the middle. I kind of had to. But it was a crazy one. And if you liked what you heard, please get on iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. You know, iTunes has that stupid algorithm where you have to have so many reviews and how many stars you have judges like how high up you are in the charts i mean we've never made it into the charts and i'm not expecting us to but i have an idea it would help i have an idea what's your idea if you like the podcast go on itunes and give us five stars right Mm -hmm. because you love the podcast if you hate the podcast give us five stars do you know why why because you should in your head you should be like I want the world to see how shitty 
these fucking people are. <laughs> so, either way... Even bad press is press, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it helps with the visibility of the show. It makes us easier to find. I mean, we know it can be a pain in the ass, but we would really appreciate it if you guys could do that. We, could, we really appreciate the great reviews you guys have left. Sorry about the fart jokes. Get over it. It's a fucking comedy podcast. There you go. Read a book. <laughs> and please check out the other great podcasts on the Murderly Network and show them some love. Uh, you can find all of us at murder.ly. And we just got Dark Poutine to join our family. I'm totally fangirling. And our numbers have jumped significantly since the network release. So a big thank you to all of our new listeners and subscribers that have found us because of the network. Thank you guys so much. And once again, a big, huge thank you to Steve from Trace Evidence. You, that that sincerely meant a lot to Billy and I. And we were just blown away that someone we've never even met would think of me in that way. And I, I sincerely appreciate it. So please, guys, listen to Trace Evidence. You're going to love it. And thank you, Steve. If you'd like to support the show in ways other than saying, hey, they're really good, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis in the macabre and make a pledge. Even a $1 pledge gets you access to our patron-only audio each month, and for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies. Well, I make them by hand. Exactly. If you're in a high enough tier, Billy will send you handmade Snuggle Bunny goodies. And once again, thank you to our patrons, Kate, Hunter, Cooper, Bridget, Molly, and Sue. You guys are amazing and you have our undying love as we promised. We love you. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Martinis in the Macabre and on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. And be sure to join our fan page on Facebook as well at Friends Who Like Martinis in the Macabre. We love interacting with you guys. Feel free to post whatever you like on the pages and to share our post. And once again... Thank you to all of the new followers and the new members of the group. You guys are awesome. We love having you guys there. You can also visit our website, martinisinthemacabre.com, to learn a little about us, listen to our complete episode catalog, or listen to all the songs created by Minimus Noah that we use at the end of each episode. And of course, keep listening because another one will be at the end of this episode. And be sure to find uh, Minimus Noah's first official album release called Views. It's on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers. All the, the buttons and clicks and links and stuff are on the website, so go to that under the music page. For any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, shoot us an email at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com, or you can use the contact page on the website. And... I've been lately getting into some conspiracy theories, and I'm thinking about doing a kind of run of episodes dealing with that, so stay tuned for that. It'll be coming soon, after our next fun one. So, you got anything to add, Billy? Nope. All right. Once again, thanks so much for listening. We truly appreciate you guys. Stay safe, Snuggle Bunnies, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.
He beat her to death with a ruler. How? He's a serial killer. Oh. Oh. 